0: Yeah, I thought so. So they're long friends. It's good to be here. Uh, My wife and kids send their regrets. They're a little travel weary. And when we saw what it required to drive up here and there's some sickness in the family, we thought we would uh, not share all our germs with you. (laughs) So uh, anyway, it's good to be here. Uh, A delight. Uh, Oh, one other thing. I was on your, your church website and I noticed that uh, there's actually a family connection with me and this church, believe it or not. Uh, but in 1975, you had a gentleman by the name of Cal Fred, uh who was the pastor of this church. I think it was called Evangelical Press at that time, and I don't think it met here. Uh, but Cal Fret is my uncle. So uh, if there's anybody here who's been around long enough to remember that, you can tell me that after the uh, worship service and we can catch up. Okay, uh, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be reading together uh, verses 11 to 12. It's found, I guess, in your pew Bible on page 1,122. Um, you'll forgive me, uh, I left my paper Bible at home, so I'm using my Bible app, so I hope that doesn't violate any. Okay, Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 11 to 32. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 11. And he said, that is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat May God add his blessing to his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for this portion of your word. Oh Lord, uh, we can certainly see ourselves reflected uh, in these two brothers, but we give you a special thanks uh, that we have such a father as is given to us in this parable of Jesus. I ask now that you would Be pleased to speak through your servant. Lord, speak to each one of our hearts according to the individual needs that each of us have that we might grow in our love for you and our service to you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So three young boys were playing together and they began to argue about whose father was the fastest. The first boy said, my father can shoot his bow and arrow and beat the arrow before it reaches the target. He's that fast. The second boy said, ah, that's nothing. My dad can shoot his gun and he can beat the bullet before it reaches its target. He's that fast. But the third boy just shook his head and said, Oh, yeah, well, my father works for the government. (laughs) That wasn't funny. (laughs) He gets off work every day at 4 o'clock, and he's home by 3.30. He's
1: the fastest of all.
0: (laughs) At the heart of this familiar but brilliant parable of Jesus... that we are examining this morning, we're going to see that there's also a father who runs fast. To me, uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 20 is one of the most beautifully moving verses in the whole Bible. So on this Father's Day, I thought it might be good for us to look at Jesus' splendid story which is popularly known as the parable of the prodigal son. But I believe that it's better called the parable of the compassionate father. For this story from our Savior teaches us that God's fatherly love meets our heart's deepest longings. Because first, God's fatherly love is completely undeserved. And second. God's fatherly love is unbelievably satisfying. And third, God's fatherly love is incredibly extravagant. So first then, let us see that God's fatherly love is completely undeserved. At the beginning of chapter 15, in verses 1 and 2, we read, Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In order for us to understand Jesus' main point in telling this parable, it's crucial for us to know who Jesus' original audience was. Jesus tells us that uh, two very different types of people were listening to Jesus. One type the tax collectors who betrayed God's people by working for the oppressive Roman government and who also took extra money for themselves, and sinners who lived in flagrant disobedience to God's word were attracted to Jesus and his teaching. The other type, the Pharisees and the scribes, Who lived in strict obedience to God's word and taught others should do the same were repulsed by Jesus because, among other things, he hung out with reprobates and rebels. In fact, it was the Pharisees and scribes complaining about Jesus befriending sinners that caused Jesus to answer their criticism with a series of three stories. The third of which is this story about the man and his two sons. Interestingly, Jesus' answer to the Pharisees and scribes' complaint was to agree with their assessment of the tax collectors and sinners, who are obviously represented by the younger son in Jesus' story. Or simply put, people who stray outside the family of God don't deserve God's fatherly love. Jesus freely admits this by confessing the younger son's sins to his hearers. And make no mistake about it, his sins are despicable. First in verse 12, the younger son says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. While in 21st century America, we might think this request is a bit awkward, in 1st century Palestine, it was horrifyingly disrespectful. For the younger son was essentially saying, Dad, I wish you would drop dead so that I could get my share of your wealth now. Then, after selling off his portion of his father's land, which would have turned his private disrespect into his dad's public shame. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Apparently, the rebellious son had so little regard for his father and his father's love that he could not get away fast enough and far enough from his father. Then, free from his father's view, he sought happiness on his own terms in just about everything that his dad taught him was wrong, including sex for hire, if we're to believe his older brother's accusations. (laughs) Lest anyone doubt how reprehensible the younger son's behavior was, listen to his own confession in verses 18 and 19. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. (coughs) Yet even though the prodigal knew what he did was so bad that he couldn't dare think his father might bring him back into the family house. He, reasoned he still might be able to earn his way back into his father's good graces as a hired hand. Of course, everyone listening to the younger son's deplorable behavior, including the Pharisees and the scribes, would have agreed with the story thus far. The kid was horribly disrespectful and shameful. He was completely undeserving of his dad's love. So the tension in Jesus' story does not come from the younger son. Rather, it comes from the older son, (coughs) through whom Jesus reveals the uncomfortable truth that people who stay inside the family of God don't deserve God's fatherly love either. While the father was in the midst of throwing a party to celebrate the younger son's return, verses 28 to 30, report the older son's reaction. And we read, But he, that is the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Through the elder brother, Jesus exposed the Pharisees and scribes' proud, judgmental, and rebellious hearts. How dare the father reward his younger son's unforgivable squandering of the family wealth and shaming the family name? Yet, ironically, the older son terribly disrespects his father, too. Look, he says, and begins to lecture his dad about his fatherly unfairness, stinginess, and favoritism. But even worse, the older son's temper tantrum occurred outside the family house, in full view of the community, gathered for the party. As Bible scholar Kenneth Bailey points out about Middle Eastern culture, this is his words, for a son to be present and refuse participation in a family banquet is an unspeakable public insult to the father. So this angry
1: outburst made the older son also guilty of publicly
0: shaming his dad and the family name. Jesus' point is that though the two sons were very different on the outside, sadly, they were very similar on the inside. For both sons thought that they could earn their way into their father's favor. The younger son, by scheming to be a hired hand, the older son, by (coughs) serving to become an heir to the estate. Both sons cared more about themselves and what they wanted then they cared about their dad and what he wanted. Both loved their father's stuff more than they loved their father. And both sons rejected their father's faithful love and broke their father's heart. Thus Jesus taught that sin is much worse than just breaking rules. Sin is breaking relationships.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The movie Field of Dreams features Shoeless Joe Jackson, a real star baseball player from the Chicago Black Sox who was found guilty of helping to intentionally lose the 1919 World Series in exchange for money. The film's leading character, Ray, along with his father, John, were big baseball fans who were both quite talented in playing the game themselves. But the father, John, put too much pressure on his son, Ray, to make it to the big leagues. This, along with other problems, eventually broke their relationship. Because of his incredible baseball talent, Shoeless Joe Jackson was John's hero. So when Ray, the wounded son, left home at age 18, the last words he spoke to his dad John were, I could never respect a man whose hero is a criminal. It turned out to be a painful and unhealed wound that the father took with him to his grave because he died before the two could be reconciled. Even when his father, John, comes back to life as a young baseball player in a dream and is reunited with his son, Ray, Ray still cannot bring himself to call John dad. This is the heartache of sin. It breaks relationships between fathers and sons, between friend and friend, and worst of all, between God and people. But it doesn't matter whether the sin is visible aggression or invisible anger. The younger brother, the elder brother, Father John, Son Ray, you, me, we're all sinners. Completely undeserving of God's fatherly love. Now, we may have different fruit sins materialism, sexual immorality. uh, uh, legalism, self-righteousness, many more. But we all have the same root sins, self-centeredness, unbelief, idolatry. So the next time we're tempted to think we are better than someone else, we should consider how both of us are guilty of the same root sins. This brings us to our second point, and that is God's fatherly love is unbelievably satisfying.
1: In verse 20
0: we read, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This beautiful word picture Jesus paints is literally the heart of the story. And it's the kind of unconditional acceptance, complete forgiveness, and unfathomable love that we all so deeply long for. My friends, God's fatherly love is so wonderful. Not a day has gone by since the prodigal left home that the father didn't think of yearn for and look for his beloved son. Can't you just see the old man straining his eyes over the horizon hoping against hope the familiar figure of his beloved son would soon appear? And since the father represents God, he knew exactly when his son would return and I would say even orchestrated the events to make sure then it happened. A first century Jewish father's proper response to his outrageous request of for his inheritance before his father died would have been to slap the son in the face with the backside of his left hand uh, and run him out of the house. But this compassionate, wise, and gentle father overlooks his son's awful disrespect. And at great cost to himself, gives the younger son what he wants because he knows it's the best way for the son to learn his desires are sadly misplaced. And and was it only a coincidence that just as the son ran out of cash, a great famine afflicted the country where he went off to enjoy himself? Surely that was God, represented as the father, orchestrating events to bring his son back home. This explains why the father doesn't say to the younger son, or say about the younger <laughs> son, that he ran away and he returned. But what he says is that the son was lost and is found, indicating that God seeks us out and draws us to himself. But the Father also said the Son was dead and is alive, indicating how the Lord sends his Spirit into us while we are still dead in our trespasses and sins, that we might be born into a new life with Jesus. God's fatherly love is powerful. But the most poignant and most moving part of the story occurs after the father sees his lost son. The father's heart was moved with deep compassion to comfort the suffering prodigal. Moved so deeply that the father did something that would have shocked Jesus' original audience. A first-century Jewish father would never run. Never. Rather, he would only walk at a slow, dignified pace to reflect the honor due a respected member of the community. For in that day, men did not wear pants. They wore robes. So running exposed a man's legs or worse which brought public disgrace yet this father cared so much about welcoming his son more he cared more about that than he did about making a fool of himself and so the father shockingly shamelessly sprinted in love toward his son. Or as Dr. Bailey again puts it so well, quote, the father takes upon himself the form of a suffering servant and in public humiliation comes out of his house to run after his lost son. (coughs) Friends, God's love is so sacrificial. Still, the father cannot stop there. No, upon reaching his beloved son, the father throws his arms around the son in a giant bear hug. But even this passionate embrace cannot fully express the father's love for his son. So the old man then begins to plant kisses of heartfelt joy and affection over the prodigal. Yet once more, Bailey observes, no Middle Eastern father would greet or respond to his wayward son this way. It would have been way too over the top for his culture. But imagine for a moment that you were that son. He must have been concerned about how his father would receive him. Yet he was not he had not even launched into his I'm so sorry speech and his dad is draped all over him in unbounded love this I believe is the moment of the son's true repentance when he realizes the marvelous, almost too good to be true compassionate and costly love of the father brothers and sisters When we taste God's fatherly love, it powerfully changes us. However, the sad reality is that after we taste the sweetness of God's love, our love for Him continues to ebb and flow. The good news is God's love never changes. His heart remains an ocean full of compassionate affection, never tiring of running after us, hugging us, kissing us. If you're like me, your response is, Oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. (coughs) Yet to the degree we do believe God's deep fatherly love for us, we will be changed still more and more for his glory. But this unbelievably satisfying fatherly love of God is not just for prodigals who stray from God's family. Jesus makes that clear also, that it's for judgmentals who stay in God's family. For just as the father went out of the house to bring back his younger son, so he went out of the house to bring back his elder son. After the elder son made a big stink and refused to go in, verse 28 says that his father came out and entreated him. Again, Jesus paints a poignant word picture for us. But this time, it's a picture of the father's compassionate love for the older son. The older son's public refusal to join the father's party was horrifyingly disrespectful. And Jesus' first century Jewish audience would have expected their father to publicly rebuke him. But rather than yelling at his older offending son, true to form... For a second time, in the same day, the father (laughs) takes upon himself the form of a suffering servant and goes out to extend costly love. But now it is to the elder brother. Instead of berating him in anger, he pleads with him in love. Still, the older son does not believe his father loves him as much as he truly does. Verses 29 to 30 state, But the elder answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Can you hear the unbelief in those words? Unbelief in the father's unconditional, compassionate, and costly love? Tragically, the elder brother is spiritually dead and as terribly lost as the younger brother was. Yet in spite of the older brother's public accusations of miserliness and favoritism, not to mention his disowning his own younger brother, The father chooses to ignore the deeply hurtful words so that he might relieve the pain in his older son's heart. So in verse 31, the ever-compassionate father gently assures him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine (coughs) is yours. In the original language, the word for son in this verse is different from the word for son in the rest of the story. The father uses a special term of affection and gentleness that could be translated, my child. And so we see that our God welcomes both types of sinners, obvious prodigals and subtle judgmentals, with his compassionate, costly love. Going back to the Field of Dreams movie, The last words of the son Ray telling his father John that he could never respect him deeply wounded his dad. John took that pain of his son's disrespect with him in death. But as the time comes for the estranged father and son to bid each other goodbye in their baseball heaven, Ray still cannot bring himself enter into his father's love. The sun begins to set and John picks up his catcher's equipment to leave. He then reaches out to shake his son's hand and says, well good night, Ray. The son also reaches out his hand and the camera zooms in to emphasize the significant moment of the two hands clasping together. But reconciliation must wait because Ray can only reply, good night John. Still as his dad turns and begins to walk away the yearning of a son becomes too great to hold in any longer. And Ray hesitantly but deliberately utters the words his father so desperately waited to hear for the last 30 years of his earthly life. Hey, Dad, Ray asks, you want to have a catch? To which the dad turns and replies, I'd like that. And so the relationship between the two is gloriously restored through the connection of a father and a son. (laughs) The memories of having a catch with my own dad move me to tears every time I see that scene in the movie. But the point is that the son finally accepted his dad's love and experienced the joy of a restored relationship. So what about you this morning? God's fatherly love cannot be compared to any other kind of love. It's way deeper, way better, way more satisfying. None of us have ever experienced perfect, compassionate, unconditional, sacrificial human love. I believe this is the way we struggle to believe God loves us this way. But Jesus came to proclaim that it's true. God wants an intimate love relationship with you. And he entreats us to enter into his love. Our life and death, literally, Depend on whether we joyfully receive God's fatherly love or stubbornly reject it. And this brings us to our third and last point, and that is God's fatherly love is incredibly extravagant. In verse 22 we read, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The prodigal just came back to beg for a day job. But his all-loving, all-compassionate, all-forgiving father could never entertain such a thought. Instead, seeing his son barefoot and in tatters, the dad immediately calls not just for a robe, but for the best robe. He orders a ring to be put on the son's finger, and not just any ring, probably a signet ring to verify his identity as a member of the family. And shoes, another symbol of the family wealth, were placed on the son's feet. Again, imagine if you had been that younger son. How would the father's lavish outpouring of love upon you make you feel? In his father's deep, joyous love, he restored the prodigal back into his full sonship. What a beautiful picture of how God receives repentant sinners. Our Heavenly Father clothes us with Christ's robe of perfect righteousness. He gives us a ring to declare our identity, our true identity, as his beloved child. And he adorns our feet with the shoes to carry His gospel of peace. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God's fatherly love showers incredible privileges upon us in this life. This morning, if you have been found and made alive by the love of the Father in Jesus, you have all the rights and privileges of a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Think about that. You have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. You can share your heart's concerns with him. You can hear him speak to you personally through his word and by his spirit. But that's not all. Because the father wasn't finished yet. For in verse 23, he continues his orders, saying to the servants, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Then in verse 25, we learn the party not only includes palais mignon, but also music and dancing. Wow. That's more than a Presbyterian can bear. (laughs) But again... Jesus is painting a wonderful word picture for us that ultimately reflects the joy all God's children will experience one fine day. For God's fatherly love promises an incredible party for us in the life to come. In other words, cleanse your palates. Learn how to let loose Take some dancing lessons. They're gonna come in useful one day. We have a Father in heaven who is preparing the supreme shindig of all time. And it will make the most lavish parties of this country's rich and famous look like a lunch at McDonald's. Okay, one final scene. From the Field of Dreams movie. But this one is actually true. It turns out you can go see the actual site where the movie was filmed. It's located in Dyersville, Iowa, in case you wanted to know. One day in the summer of 2006, the actor Kevin Costner, who played the lead character Ray, made an appearance at the film site. He played with the kids on the actual baseball field used in the movie. Costner pitched to so many different children that day, until a father pushed his disabled son to home plate in a wheelchair. The little boy could not walk. He could not use his arms. So the father helped his son swing the bat after hitting the ball to the son's great delight. And his dad wheeled him to first base, safe. As the blogger who posted this story rightly observed, perhaps more so than son Ray and his father John's story in the movie itself, this moment of real life, father-son love, summed up, The film's theme perfectly. But dear friends, here's the bad news. There are no perfect human fathers. I've often said, I'm saving for my son's counseling. (laughs) Because I know, with me as their father, they're going to need it. We live... In a fallen world. And sin has infected the hearts of all fathers. As well as their sons and their daughters. Unfortunately, even the moms don't get off. (laughs) We're all in this mess together. But through this parable, Jesus is proclaiming that God is... He is a perfect father who perfectly loves all his children. The father left his home and suffered great shame to find his lost sons and make them alive again. Yet this parable is actually also true because Jesus left his home and upon a cruel cross, He, too, suffered great public shame to find lost people and make them alive again. So the question, Jesus' brilliant story, is designed to ask everyone, both those outside God's family and those inside God's family, is this. Will you believe God's compassionate, costly, forgiving love in Christ for you? (coughs) Will you let us pray?